welcome, welcome. This is According to Callus. This is episode 252 on September the 1st, 2022. Tonight's episode is going to be The Death Penalty in Secession. I am going to use excerpts from the book by Suzanne C. Sherman, Federalism, How Decentralization Can Save America. We are going to start on page 93 talking about the idea that law and order conservatives reject the rule of law in favor of a federal death penalty. So the U S attorney general, Robert Barr recently ordered the reinstatement of federal death penalty, ending a 16 year pause on executions at the federal level. The department of justice's um, announcement brought cheers and support from conservatives who desire to uphold the law trumps their desire to uphold hold limitations on the general government set forth in the Constitution. The Department of Justice said the decision was made in relation to five death row inmates convicted of murdering, in some cases torturing and raping, the most vulnerable in our society, children and the elderly. Claiming we owe it to the victims and their families to carry forward the sentence imposed by our justice system, it appears that Mr. Barr has forgotten the oath he took to uphold the Constitution in which the states delegated to the general government authority to punish three crimes, counterfeiting, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 6, piracies on the high seas, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 10, and treason, Article 3, Section 3. ABC News inadvertently swerved into the issue of federalism, stating that the issue of death penalty has been a tug-of-war between the states and the federal government. She goes on, remember the words of James Madison in Federalist 45. The powers reserved to the several states will, and then dot, 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 concern the lives, liberties, and prosperities of the people in the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. In Federalist 39, Madison wrote that the act of establishing the Constitution was not a national but a federal act. Given the absence of the general government's authority over the crimes in these death penalty cases, the Tenth Amendment controls. The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. <clears throat> so how did these crimes become federal offenses? An article published by my law firm reaffirmed my position about the lawyers in the Constitution. The article is called 10 Ways in Which Murder Becomes a Federal Crime. It explains that criminal law is mostly managed by the states, citing the Constitution as their authority. The author explains how murder can become a violation of federal law and 10 examples they give are arbitrary are not or they give attributable not to constitutional authority but to federal statute meaning created by congress lawyers are frequently wrong on constitutional issues and the ones who wrote this explanation are no exception <laughs> all right um she goes on to talk about congress taking itself to circumvent state authority to prosecute punish and execute those convicted of crimes that should be overseen at the state level. If the states wanted the general government to deal with this behavior, however reprehensible, they would have included this power in Article 1. They did not. <clears throat> the, I'm sorry. If the general government is to, to attain these powers that were never delegated, the Constitution provides for a process by which the amendments could be made under Article 5. Instead, Congress amended the Constitution and left the states out of the process. This matters because the federal government has a long history of amending the Constitution by congressional, presidential, or judicial edict. 
Before the ink was dry on the Constitution, Congress passed the Sedition Act of 1798, criminalizing speech considered false, malicious, or scandalous that was directed at the government or government officials. Hmm, does that sound familiar, folks? And in Schenck v. U.S. 1919, the judiciary got into the act when the United States Supreme Court upheld the conviction of a man for violating the Espionage Act of 1917. His crime? He distributed pamphlets correctly stating that conscription violated the 13th Amendment. Hmm, where have I heard that before? The court explained that in ordinary times, doing so would have been protected as a constitutional right. However, they qualified this right by considering the circumstances in which it took place. And the court ruled, issued an opinion, his distribution of printed material was criminal conduct. The United States Supreme Court held their own constitutional convention did not bother to include the states. Now, the First Amendment prohibits the Congress from abridging the freedom of speech or the press. The message does not depend on the circumstances, but any infringement is a violation. This is a problem with referring to restrictions upon Congress as rights to be defined and regulated. When government refuses to acknowledge the restrictions the Constitution places upon it, it labels them as rights, and they revert to the same tired argument. Rights are subject to regulation. And the Supreme Court agrees, showing the fallacy of expecting one branch of government to restrain the other. Today, movements around the world indicate people are tired of consolidated governments stealing their freedom. Several states have movements calling for secession. Some political candidates even call for abolishing the federal government entirely. The federal government enacts laws to protect its image and its very existence. There are no constitutional authority for flag codes, or particularly troublesome is 18 U.S.C., 2385, which provides those who knowingly or willingly advocate, abets, advises, or teaches the duty, necessity, desirability, or proprietary propriety of overflowing or overthrowing or destroying the government of the United States or the government of any state by force of violence shall be fined under this title or imprisoned or both. Well, Thomas Jefferson might well face incarceration for his Tree of Liberty stance under the statute if he was around today. Treason against the United States is defined in Article 3, Section 3, as consisting only levying war against them. The term them refers to the states, not the general government created by the states. But Congress decided to add protections for the general government that violate the First Amendment. Conveniently, the United States Supreme Court has also created distinctions in this area, traditionally considered speech or expression by referring to them as conduct. Where the distribution of pamphlets was labeled interfering with military efforts. People are getting tired of living under the rule of central government that has abandoned its restraints and, is starting to be, and they are starting to be more vocal about their disenchantment. Those perceived as a threat to government authority are subject to criminal prosecution, as happened under the Sedition Act. But it did not end there, as we are still living under the Espionage Act. I'm sure Julian Assange would love to comment on that one. <clears throat> she then continues on page 98. Abraham Lincoln, as you all know, that's my favorite president, not, arrested those who opposed his war efforts. He shut down the printing presses. He suspended habeas corpus, something only Congress had the legal authority to do. In 1862, he ordered the execution of 39 Dakota Indians, or I guess technically that would be Lakota Indians, after a trial lacking in fairness and due process. And on February 19, 1942, President 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt issued Executive Order 9066 and 120,000 people of Japanese descent, most being American citizens, were forcibly relocated to detention camps absent any connection with wrongdoing against the government. In more recent times, the National Defense Authorization Act grants the power I'm sorry, grants the executive the power to identify and detain those considered a threat. Starting to warm up here, isn't it? The power is made more palatable by calling such people suspected terrorists. Is the term limited to foreign threats or those who oppose the current system going to fall in that category? Time will tell. She's got in parentheses here. Since I wrote this article, the DOJ and FBI have targeted parents who've attended school board meetings in protest of mask mandates, the introduction of critical race theory, and the sexual assault of a female student by a male student in the restroom. Individuals set to be executed pursuant to Barr's order are clearly not are clearly not worthy of our sympathies, but that does not mean that the emotions should conquer principles. We should never allow dubious pragmatism to deter us from challenging unlawful expansions of federal government. There is a means by which this could have been attained the powers lawfully, and that has not been done. These crimes can the condemned have been convicted of fall within the realm of the states to punish. Today's advocate for limited government might be tomorrow's enemies of the state. Constitutional conservatives supporting the reinstatement of a federal death penalty will be forced to admit that they care more about law and order than they do about the rule of law. Okay, so here are the key takeaways on my part here. As some of you may recall, I have been referred to as a seditionist and a traitor. So, by calling me a traitor, that means I am worthy of the death penalty in their mind. I think we ought to tread very lightly when we accuse somebody of being a traitor or a treasonist person. Because Article 3, Section 3 does declare that you are worthy of the federal death penalty. Now, yes, there would be a trial. And we all know how fair and even-handed those trials are right now, don't we? You know, I struggle. I can think of several people that, elected or unelected, that serve in government that I have probably referred to as traitorous or definitely as oath breakers. I suppose I should qualify it by saying I believe their actions are traitorous as opposed to calling them traitors. But I don't think I would be given the same grace. In fact, I don't think anybody that agrees with me or was on my team, quote unquote, would be given the same grace. Indeed, we have seen how our local governments routinely disregard First Amendment protections. Now, they would rightfully state that the First Amendment protections don't really apply at the local level. Okay, I'll give you that. But I think every state constitution has similar protections. Whereupon, they can reasonably regulate the time and place, but they cannot prevent you from advocating any kind of political speech. That is, in fact, the most important speech, the one that is to be most cherished and most protected. Now, from time to time, I'll watch something called Audit the Audit. or And basically, these guys are doing free speech things, and they're testing 
local authorities or state authorities to see if they will respect their rights. Now, I'll tell you flat out, I think some of these people probably ought to find better things to do with their time, but not all of them. And I think they're providing a valid action, right? Because some of these people need to be called out. Some of these people probably need to be removed from power or office. But I I just, (laughs) I think maybe some of these folks could be better uh, using their talents somewhere else, but time will tell. And let's see, the next big takeaway. So we see here that the court allows the federal government to routinely change the Constitution without the state's input. When the states created the federal government, the states basically said, feds, this is what you get to do. As the general government, you get to do these things on our behalf because we want you to. Yet many of those states have done very little to prevent the general government from taking more powers and abusing those powers. And the SCOTUS appears to be more likely than not to protect them. And of course, you know, Abraham Lincoln finally got his hand slapped by SCOTUS where they said, well, you don't have the right to repeal habeas corpus. However, as part of the NDAA, Congress has already done that. So in fact, I think it's since 2012, we're not actually protected by habeas corpus because Congress stripped that away. And I don't think anybody really knew that. I don't think that was brought to the general public's attention. And it was all under the guise of protecting us from terrorists or potential terrorists. And here we go. This is the final takeaway. As a potential terrorist, as defined by the DOJ and the FBI, Anybody write a center that dares to question the narrative of their local school board or perhaps, I don't know, attend certain rallies without permission or perhaps says the wrong thing at the wrong time or perhaps advocates for the abolition of the federal government or perhaps says, hey, my state should go independent because, quite frankly, the feds won't obey their own laws, so we don't need them or perhaps any number of other things that gets under somebody's skin or bothers them, they can immediately say, well, they're potential terrorists. They're advocating for things. They're extremists. Now, we hear this language all the time. I mean, even the resident, Joe Biden, is referring to everybody as an extremist or ultra MAGA or this or that, you know, pejoratives to schmear people that, quite frankly, don't think he has the authority, and quite frankly, I seriously doubt he has the ability at this point to serve as president and do some of the things he's doing. But we continue to tolerate it. The problem is, the moment we act, that we take direct action to do something about it, we have fallen into the trap. They've set this trap where they antagonize and antagonize and antagonize trying to get a reaction. And the moment we react, we lose. But to do nothing, we continue to lose. By standing by and not defending ourselves, by standing by and just allowing these things to happen without a word being said, we're still losing. At a certain point, the realization is going to set in that there's nothing left to preserve. And this again goes back to my old adage that conservatives fail to conserve anything. There's very little left that can be argued the conservatives have conserved. 
I mean, even now, <laughs> they're defending gay marriage. Even now, they're promoting quote-unquote married gay guys who are, I don't know, playing a little genetic engineering to have their custom babies made. But that's supposedly conservative now. Now, look, I understand you got to sometimes make uh, allies to defeat a bigger enemy. I get it. And if we were in a legit war, I would just go along to get along because we got the big war. I just don't believe we're in an actual war at this point. Now, I know that I might be in the minority of uh, pontificators or some of the thought uh, producing people. I would say we're in a low intensity war, if anything. They seem to think we're about ready to go hot. Now, I don't want that. I, I, I don't look forward to it. I don't think civil war or another war of independence is just a good idea. Because I don't really think anybody's going to win at this point. I mean, even if we were successful, at what cost? How many people are willing to give up their homes, their families, their retirement? I'm going to suggest to you that in our soft society that we currently live in, there's not very many. And for those of you that think, well, you know, we've got the military on our side and, you know, the cops are going to be on our side and protect us. I got news for you. You got a guy in the military with more than, I don't know, let's say 15 years. Do you really think he's going to disobey orders? I mean, he's got a nice retirement coming up. Do you really think he's going to put his oath before his personal, hmm, let's call it pleasure, personal protection? I don't know. Maybe 5 or 10% will, and that maybe that's enough. Maybe that'll disrupt the military command structure enough to where the military decides to sit out. I don't know. And I don't know what the right answer is. I know I've discussed this a little in the past. I know I've also touched on the idea that the second responders, they're not on our team. I listened to a program today, and they were talking about you know, what went on at Ferguson. And the police, by and large... Followed orders, which is protect the protesters, protect the rioters. And if the people defending their private property step out of line, arrest them, punish them. I'm not quite sure how you define stepping out of line. But again, I think we're all being manipulated. They tried to create a bigger mess there than what actually occurred. And from what I understand, it was not a pleasant situation. And I certainly wouldn't have wanted to be part of it. But, you know, in the summer of love 2020, the other team was all over the place and they got away with literal murder and mayhem and nothing happened to them. Yet you got a few, mm, let's call it examples of people that said, no, you can't do this. No, we're going to defend ourselves. And those are the people that were lambasted. Those are the people that were attacked. Those are the people that they tried to jail or fine or otherwise incarcerate and take away their rights because they had the audacity to stand for themselves and for other people. They had the audacity to protect their private property. They had the audacity to utilize self-defense. So I ask you, if you talk about succession, if you, succession, excuse me, if you talk about independence, does that make you a traitor? Are you committing treason? Well, the way Article 3, Section 3 defines it, I'm not advocating overthrowing the state of Texas. 
I'm not advocating overthrowing any of my neighboring states. I'm not even advocating overthrowing the general government. I am merely stating that I'm in favor of the people of Texas determining whether or not they still want to be part of the union. Now, I know five or six people in black robes said that, well, you don't get to make that decision for yourself. Yeah, okay, that's fine. And as uh, another famous president once said, Andrew Jackson, for those of you that don't know, the court has made their opinion. Now let them enforce it. It'd be interesting to see where that plays out. But those that disagree with me, surely you can see the distinction here, right? Surely you understand I'm not looking to overthrow any government. I'm not looking uh, to actually, well, I wouldn't mind the dissolution of the federal government, but I fully acknowledge there is a need and a use for some government. Now, that puts me at odds with some of my libertarian friends. I'm a bit of a minarchist, okay? I want to go down that path, but you have to have some government. There's never, ever a case where there's no government. As soon as that vacuum is created, something steps in to fill it. It's the same concept when you say, well, we're going to be neutral on God. We're not going to have any gods. Well, yeah, actually, the moment you say that, the state becomes God or some form of humanism steps in and takes over as God. People are taught that you have to submit to something. And if it's not God Almighty, it's going to be the state. Well, I'm really uncomfortable with that. And anybody that, I don't know, is right of center should understand why that's a problem. So I ask you, if you advocate... Secession, if you advocate independence, are you a traitor? Is that worthy of giving somebody the death penalty? I'll take it even further. The uh, gentleman uh, who was advocating, I think it was Shank, the guy that was advocating um, against conscription, said it violates the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, and they acknowledged that that is an accurate statement. And I have talked about this from time to time on you know my private life. You can't conscript somebody that's, you know, forcing somebody to do something. That's enslavement. We don't do enslavement. There's prison, but we don't do enslavement. And forced conscription is enslavement. Human trafficking is another form of enslavement. Now, we give it a a pretty name. It works better for fundraising. But what we really ought to do is just... Dust off the logo, stop slavery. I mean, it worked in Britain. Stop slavery. Just knock it off. You know, we have still largely control of the high seas, but we do nothing about our southern border. Again, if you want to prosecute somebody at the federal level for doing any of that stuff, there's no authority to do so. The states ought to be able to handle this. The states should be doing this. If the state doesn't want to do it, that's a problem. I suspect that you're a lot safer in California if you want to be a child molester than you are in Texas. Although, based upon what I've heard in the last few days, apparently, if you live in Prosper, the school district protects you if you're a molester. But that's just maybe what I've heard. I I could be wrong. I hope to be proven wrong. Although my understanding is, at least in Allen, when they figured out that somebody was molesting students, they had the uh, principal to fire them. 
But one wonders how long that was going on before they acted. Inquiring minds want to know. So for me personally, I would like to see the state of Texas step in and harshly deal with those guys. But even then, I'm not sure I can justify the death penalty, but I'm kind of good with 15 years in a maximum security prison, general population. I think we can solve that ourselves. I'm fairly confident that would be rather unpleasant for people that like to abuse little kids. Just saying. In the end, whatever my misgivings are about the death penalty, and I have many, there is an appropriate place for it both in the Constitution and in biblical law. But advocating for secession or advocating for independence doesn't necessarily rise to the level where you can justify calling somebody a traitor or or say somebody's being treasonous, which would trigger a federal death penalty. And quite frankly, uh, I suspect I love my country and would do more to protect my country than a good number of those people that may have referred to people like me as a traitor or a treasonous person. But again, that's just my opinion. And as I'll remind you, as I have to do from time to time, this show is called According to Callus. And basically everything I say that isn't a direct quote or a paraphrase is my opinion. So I literally can say anything I want without publicly disparaging somebody or calling them out as a bad person or making a judgment call. And it's all just fine. You know, I could spend time going after said elected officials. I could spend time, you know, trashing people. But that's not what I'm primarily motivated by. I'm motivated by educating and bringing about a better understanding of how things are supposed to work. What the general function is and making sure that you understand that just because you're told you have choice A and choice B doesn't mean there isn't a choice C, D, E, and F. That we don't always have to constantly eat the sandwich that tells us, well, this is the lesser of the two evils. We don't always have to choke down the sandwich that says, well, at least he's not a blank. My case, it'd be Democrat. In your case, it may be Republican, whatever. You understand where I'm going with this. We have other options. They may not be better options, but they are options. And until people start acting on those options, nothing is going to change or improve. So I imagine tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, which is when I've put it out tonight, I will be speaking on a similar subject whereupon I'm going to remind you that you have the power. You control the destiny of your children and potentially your grandchildren. It's just a question of what are you going to do to protect them? What are you going to what amount of skin in the game are you willing to put? If you're not, then I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to I don't want to listen to complaints by people that aren't willing to do anything. And hopefully that Thursday night Later in the evening, you're going to hear of a couple of options, a couple of things you could do. Now, I've talked about them a little bit before on the show, and I'm not going to spoil the program for Thursday night. Just suffice it to say, if this is of interest to you, 
go to Kyle KD Sims for Texas and get the information. We're going to be at the Redemption Point Church. And that's at 107 East Lamar in downtown McKinney, Thursday, starting at 7 p.m. And I know some of you might be at a kickoff for a guy that's going to be running for Congress. And he is a great guy. And if you're going there, I believe it starts at 530. There's no reason why you can't come a little bit later. We'd love to see you and give my regards to our future congressman. And with that, this has been, according to Callis, coming to you on September 1st, 2022, episode 252. And I think in 10 days, we're going to have a special anniversary edition for a certain event that happened 11 years ago. And with that, this Well, I guess with that, I will see you on the other side. Thanks. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget to share, like, comment, and subscribe to the show. It matters. I'm getting awfully close to hitting that magic 10,000 number, and I'd sure like to make it before the end of the month of September. So help me out here, and I'll see you on the other side.